You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast, and I am your host, Ramses Ja. And sometimes the amount of stories that make their way to us means that we simply can't cover everything that comes our way. But from time to time, a story just stays with me, and I feel compelled to share it with you and give you my thoughts. And now, one more thing. I have a really, really good friend named Leanna, and she used to protest with me, or maybe I used to protest with her back in 2020. Protested with each other. Okay, <laughs> I'll take that. Um, but over the years, she has been very supportive of what I've been do- doing with my radio show, Civic Cipher with what I've been doing here on the Black Information Network. And recently, she attended a lecture called Stoking the Fire of Resiliency in Disempowered Communities by one Ia Afo. And she thought, after hearing this lecture, that I should have a conversation with this amazing woman. Well... I'll be honest, I did have a conversation, and I immediately put her on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) But um, the conversation moved me. She's such a powerful speaker and so insightful. And I thought that it was important that I 
shared her knowledge with you today. So I've invited both Liana and Eo to the studio today. And a little bit of background here. I won't state your brief for you, but Eo, uh, she is a cultural and historical trauma specialist. Uh, she earned a Western certification as a trauma specialist and also is a descendant of a long line of traditional healers from Benin Republic, West Africa. Uh, she specializes in generational trauma and the healing of generational trauma. And recently with the push, the collaboration between iHeart and the Ad Council um, to have conversations about mental health, particularly with respect to Black and Hispanic men, I figured the time couldn't be any better. So I'd like to welcome you both to the show. Thank you for coming. Thanks for um, having us. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and uh, yeah, of course, I, I, I know that we've had a conversation before. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that we really didn't touch on, we did touch on um, what general, generational trauma is. And I want to touch on that briefly here. But we didn't touch on a lot in the way of what to do about it, best practices, how to heal ourselves. And so I want to ask you some questions a little bit later on. But for now, I would like for you to give a better background on yourself for the benefit of our listeners here, Um, what it is you do, why you do it. And then I want to talk about generational trauma in brief enough to get people up to speed and then we'll talk about how to heal okay sounds good um so when we had george floyd's murder Mm -hmm. i've been talking about historical trauma generational trauma 15 to 20 years um for for about 15 to 20 years okay no one cared about it no one wanted to hear about it i'd have to beg people to talk about it and every now and again someone might have a little bit of interest and invite me to come down on my own dime or whatever to talk about it. And then we had COVID and this miraculous um, crash between COVID and Black Lives Matter movement and around George Floyd's murder. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I had organizations going, now why are Black people burning down America? Like what happened? Mm-hmm. What is the fire? Why are we doing this? It's got to be something. There must be something, right? Like suddenly there's, you know, sure. um, and, and I, I'm so great. And it, it's, it, I don't want it to sound morbid or, or not compassionate, right? But I'm so grateful for COVID and for, um, not that George Floyd lost his life, but he lost his life for something incredible. And I think about his, his daughter saying, my daddy's changed the world. Oh, I get goosebumps when I say yeah. it again. But she said, my daddy's going to change the world. Mm-hmm. Yes, her daddy died to change the world. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's phenomenal because it opened the door to conversations that people weren't willing to have. And even here in Arizona, it's when I started getting all these phone calls about, remember you were trying to talk about that thing? Could you come and talk about that? Can you give us a training? And I uh, developed a training to do historical trauma specialist certification. And I developed a, um, an eight-hour 
level one training and people were coming from all types of different organizations and PhDs and MDs and police chiefs and judges and people from all walks of life trying to understand, you know, what was happening with historical trauma and how do we fix it and how do we create environments in the workplace that are supporting black indigenous people of color. Mm -hmm. And that expanded to what I have now, which is a six level 48 hour program. Um, again, teaching, um, like New York Presbyterian hospital staff is, you know, doing the training. And so all walks of life trying to understand what, how is historical trauma or trauma related to human physiology and, and neurobiology and how does that manifest in people today? So one of the things that we talked about last time was that there is a scientific basis for the argument that generational trauma exists yes. and that it lasts 14 generations. This was the number that I recall from our last conversation. Correct. So, so let's, let's just briefly touch on the scientific basis for that, um, idea that generational trauma is something that is passed on from one person to the next. Okay. So if we think about it from the genetic standpoint, mm -hmm. what we know is that we have a genome and within the genome of our DNA, we have the genes that we inherit from our parents, right? And that's the information that doesn't change. So genetic information does not change. We inherit a certain genes that stays the same no matter what. But on the outside of the genome, there's something called the epigenome. And the epigenome houses these chemical markers that determine when, if, and how that genetic information is released from the genome of the DNA. Mm. That's how trauma can be passed from one generation to the next because our DNA adapts to whatever environment we're in. So if we're in a hostile environment, the body is wired for survival. And in order to survive, our genetics has to adapt to that environment. You, I remember you mentioned a study that it might have been in mice or, or something rats, like yes. that, rats, mm -hmm. where I, I remember cherry blossoms or something like that. But but if you could uh, share that a bit okay. with our listeners, just so that we can kind yes. of follow the science there. So there's some controversy around epigenetics mm -hmm. because we have, you know, a group in our society that does not want to acknowledge that we're still talking about Native American genocide, or we're still talking about the transatlantic slave trade because it's still impacting people, mm -hmm. right? They want it to, they want to sweep it under the carpet and say, Hey, this was 400 years ago. Why are we still talking about this? This doesn't exist. We got rid of Jim Crow. We don't have these laws anymore. We elected we Obama. <laughs> right. We elected, right. Yeah. We elected Obama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so they, they don't want to acknowledge that this exists, but the reality is, and we have enough science behind it, that we're still impacted by the trauma of our ancestors. In the cherry blossom study, they took rats, they shocked the rats while simultaneously exposing them to the smell of cherry blossoms. And so 14 generations later, those rats that were never shocked 
when they smell cherry blossoms, they react in the same way that the first generation mice did when they smelled cherry blossoms and were shocked at the same time. So in other words, they had the same fight or flight response as the first generation rats that were in fear. They had the same, you know, the cortisol and adrenaline and noradrenaline and all those stress hormones that are in your system when you feel fear were elicited in the rats that never experienced the shock but smelled the cherry blossoms. So that's one of the big studies around epigenetics. Okay, so it's funny because I work in the space of like allyship and, and, you know, trying to disseminate information into communities that might not be privy to conversations that black people might have with each other. Mm-hmm. And one of the toughest things is getting people to care who don't care. And one of the most beautiful things is encountering people who care when they don't have to. Right. You know, Leanne is a great example yes. of, of one such person. Yes. Um, and I feel like with studies and with a scientific basis, um, you can start to create some more connective tissue between the people who have decided that they don't care. This is a you problem, not a me problem or an us problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and start acknowledging perhaps their role or the benefit that they have as a result of how you've been compromised. And even those people who have, who you might not consider allies, you can turn them into allies and cheerleaders and supporters. And so um, this is why I have espoused the scientific elements of your conversations with me so far because uh, I think it's in that space where we can um, again create some more of that connective tissue now the truth is here on the Black Information Network I think that we know that we are dealing with some traumas right Mm -hmm. so far be it for me to spend too much time outlining our traumas. Mm-hmm. And if if you feel that that's important, please check out uh, the episode of Civic Cipher with Ia Afo on it because um, it is very, very insightful, very informative. But here on the Black Information Network, what I'd like to do is have a conversation about how to heal the traumas that we know that we have. And so let's start with a general question, and then we'll break it down as we go. Okay. How, if I feel like sad or if I feel not motivated or I'm, I'm not even sure how it may, I wouldn't even know how to tell if I have a problem. So let's start there. Let's start before we start figuring out how to heal. How do we know if something is not right or if this is just where we are at this point in our life or, you know, you know what I'm trying to say? Yes, I do. Right Now, we know that we have certain buzzwords in our community that people are using often. I think I have ADHD. Mm. I have a very hard time staying focused or concentrating. My child has a very hard time staying focused or concentrating. I have anxiety. 
I am often depressed. I feel withdrawn. And my favorite, I need anger management. I, my anger gets out of control. I feel so badly after and then it's too late, right? Mm. All of these things, um, although we get a lot of diagnoses in our society, in our community, right? All of these things are things that could be diagnosed and then things that medication be, can be prescribed for. Mm-hmm. But what we also know is that trauma manifests and looks like a lot of the things that I just talked about. Mm. And so if you're experiencing some of those things, we can take a look at, you know, you can take a look at, do I have trauma and do I have toxic stress? So if we back it up one second, and I know you have things to answer, but I want to make clear when we talk about trauma, people sometimes think trauma is an incident, right? There's a fire and that was a trauma. That's what I would have thought. Right. When we talk about trauma, I want to expand our lens and look wider Mm -hmm. and think of trauma as something that impacts the way my brain is working or how the chemicals are in my body. Mm. The incident isn't the problem. You and I, now it was very interesting and uh, you told me that you come from a line of um, preachers, right? Like pastors, right? Okay. So you're going to have a different way that you manage things in the world because you have a different type of resilience than other people. Why? Because the way you showed affection toward your father and your grandfather says to me that you had a father that was involved in your life. You had a father that gave you information and taught you things. You have a grandfather that taught your father and therefore was probably active in your life if he was alive during your time. And if he wasn't, you heard all of these wonderful stories about what a wonderful human being your grandfather was. When we have those types of relationships early in childhood and throughout our lives, it increases our capacity for resilience. So because you had those things, when you face adversity in life, you have a bigger cup, right? Your cup might be a little bit bigger than everyone else. Okay. Where one of your friends, one of your partners might react in a, in a way um, towards something in a big way or have emotion, you may not because you might have more resilience because of the relationships you had early on in your life. And those relationships allow you to practice the upstairs part of your brain, the neural connections and the upstairs part of the brain, which allows you to have more resilience. Somebody else that did not experience that and have those relationships and have people in their lives like that and maybe have tools of prayer or tools of whatever, right? The, um, your, your family members taught you. They will maybe have more experience in their downstairs brain and the part of the brain that has to do with feeling unsafe with danger and emotion and all of those things. That person is going to react differently. You can be in experience, traumatic experiences or pictures, right? Pictures that bring or, or video. We, we talked about this earlier, right? Video that could be very difficult to watch. Mm. You're going to have a re- an, one reaction. 
But your partner that doesn't necessarily have the same resilience as you may have a much bigger reaction. Mm. That experience may not be traumatic for you. If it did not impact your neurobiology, if it did not impact your physiology, meaning if you don't now have a flood of hormones in your system because your brain said, "Uh oh, danger, danger, I'm afraid. You're going to have a different reaction. Okay, so so there's, okay, sounds like, and I mean, I think this goes without saying, but it sounds like when you're a young person, Mm -hmm. young human, probably the first few years of your life, your brain is still very plastic and um, you're learning how to navigate the world and for folks who feel maybe safe, secure, they develop different skills. And for folks who are dealing with trauma, they develop different skills and different traumas and, and so forth. Everyone has their own imprint. Right. Like. In other words, though, even the way your brain develops is different. So mm. there's neurological uh, disruption and neurological development. If you experience a lot of trauma in those first years of life, or if you don't have enough caregivers and a deep relational network, the deeper your relational network, the more, um, the less chaos your brain has when it's developing. So here's where I was going to go with that because yeah. my brain immediately goes to poor families. They exist. Mm-hmm. I come from a poor family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I grew up around poor families and I realized that not every family had the resources that mine did. Um, and Sometimes people were left alone, you know, as kids right. for a long time. Right. And, and on and on and on, right? Yes. Um, this is something that affects black people disproportionately. Poverty. Um, and poverty shapes outcomes better than most anything that I've found in my journey uh, being a journalist and broadcaster. So now that we're at this point. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what we can do about it. This concludes part one of our three-part conversation with Ia Afo, the culturalist and historical trauma specialist, and my dear friend, Leanna Taylor. Check back in with us for part two of our three-part conversation, where we discuss identifying traumas, as well as more steps on healing those traumas. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. 
because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.